Across the street from the Texas State Capitol in Austin, this is the Trey Blocker Show, starring Charlie Hodge and Trey Blocker, with today's guest, Texas State Senator Charles Perry. And here's Trey Blocker. Thank you, Charlie Hodge, for that very kind introduction. Today, we are very honored to have in the studio Senator Charles Perry. Senator Perry was born and raised in West Texas, graduated from Texas Tech University. He's a practicing CPA in Lubbock. He's been married to his wife, Jacqueline, for over 32 years and has two kids, Jordan and Matthew. Uh, Senator Perry was first elected to the House of Representatives in 2008, elected to the Texas Senate in 2014, and is currently the chair of the Senate Committee on Agriculture, Water, and Rural Affairs. Senator Perry, welcome to the show. Hey, good morning. Thanks for having me, guys. It's fun. Yeah. This, this reminds me of Lubbock right now. I'm going <laughs> to do this a lot down there. We've got two or three headset uh, setups that we sit around and talk uh, during the morning, so it's good to be here. Have morning coffee, watch the sun come up, reflect. Yeah, I tell you, it's a beautiful place to work. I, it is. I, I was driving up the street from an event last night and looked at it, and when you see that all lit up at night, it's just almost, in, you just don't have words. The capital. Uh, yeah, the capital, yeah. the pink dome. I mean, you just really can't recognize the beauty of it till you kind of take back sit back, take a pause, and, and, and reflect. It's Boy. a pretty cool deal. But that building to the north sure is ugly. I was just commenting <laughs> yeah, looking yeah, out yeah. Trey's window. I don't know yeah. what building that is, but it's yeah. just a block. Yeah. There's a block just stuck up in the sky right next to this gorgeous, gorgeous yeah. capital. You know, Budget the, cuts, We man. each have our mission fields. <laughs> now, you said, uh, now you Trey said you're a CPA. Yes, sir. Um, you know, my brother's a CPA, so yeah. I got a little something you might think is cool. Sarbanes Oxley. Yeah, yeah you know what that is? Yeah. yeah, you're right. That's what that's he deals cool. with all day. Is that uh, really, does about, it kind of make your about, hair stand up? How about up? FASB, you know? So we can get in that. You know, I'm uh, I'm practicing for 30-some-odd years in that. I hope one day I'll get it right. But uh, cleaning, pressing, and alterations uh, is kind of how I reflect that. That's kind of CPA. No, there you go. Explain that. Explain CPA that. there. That's kind of, oh, well, you know, I, I will never forget that. You know, you have those humbling moments in your life. I got my certificate, my CPA license, and I remember being at the ceremony, and I think it was one of my aunts, you know, the kind that used to put big red lipstick on your <laughs> cheek when, when they'd pinch you or something, you That's know, right. and she said, and when you get this over with, you can become a notary, and that's a, <laughs> no reflection on notaries at all, but I think no, that they sure. didn't have the, the grasp of the gravity of the, the license I had just achieved that way, so I knew right then it wasn't quite as big a deal as, you know, you, you'd like to think it is. So. Yeah, it, wasn't, it wasn't quite the same as her saying, now you can be an astronaut. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, it, you can get your notary, you, you know, notary. So, uh, and I thought that was... Uh, Charlie, you know, was, that your, uh, was that your CPA joke? Yeah, okay. Sarbanes-Oxley, that was what... That was your joke? That's my inside track whenever I meet <laughs> someone in that field yeah. uh, dazzle them it's pretty pretty amazing actually but uh, uh, so i'm very humbled from the beginning of my cpa career so sure <laughs> yeah i haven't got the notary done yet so that's a goal that's a bucket list so, uh, one day yes one, sir, you know maybe day. after this political career, yeah exactly you know, one step at a time one go. step at a time so uh, tell us what it's like growing up in west texas i've always been fascinated by that part of texas and it's as we we all know, maybe folks across the country don't realize, Texas changes dramatically from the east side of Texas to the west side of Texas. So, and the people and the culture in West Texas is so different, and so wonderful. Uh, tell us, tell us about growing up. Out yeah, there. It's, it's it's a great question. You know, I, I'd look at it as kind of the east Texas area is just like West Texas, only they have trees. <laughs> uh, so the a little people, different the culture, the people there, it, it's an independent spirit. 
it's a, it's a mindset of get up and earn your keep and pull your bootstraps up and go to work and don't let somebody come to your aid at every level. So there is a true different uh, culture. Uh, there's a, there's a, a DNA, if you will, uh, west of I-35, and it's part of the urbanization versus rural debate that seems to be more than ever in my tenure down here, eight years, so to speak, that I've never seen it quite as clearly defined as rural versus urban. But growing up in West Texas, you know, you, you go to church, um, you're there probably when the doors are open. I, you know, I tell people I had a drug problem. I was drugged to church every time the doors were open. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so you have that. You have that faith-based community very right. much so in place. You've got a community support. You know, you the little leagues, the the T-balls, the, the, the whole gamut of, of just family and community. And you still eat with uh, your grandparents on Sunday after church and all the family. So there was that dynamic going on. And I don't know that that's that's unique to West Texas, but it just seems like it's the value system of West Texas that comes through all of those, uh, you know, traditions. No trees to culture, hide behind. No trees. You know, people, <laughs> I tell people I'm a desert rat. I like to see the sun up and the sun go down. In our areas, it's very ag- agrarian still. You still have open fields for as far as you can see. Right. You want to come drive my district one time, you'll really begin to appreciate how big geographically we are and how independent the people are because there is such a diverse geographical um you know distance between each of them so growing up you grow up you know i had a family of uh, four other siblings uh yours mine and ours uh my parents were divorced at early age and mm. uh, me and my half sister came into the loop one year apart when remarried and had a half brother came in or my stepsister and had a half brother and i had two other brothers and sisters so gotcha. we were kind of the yours mine and ours or brady bunch before right. it was cool <laughs> right uh, but, uh, you know, had two parents that got up and went to work every day. Just absolutely. There was no question. And we were expected to do the same and be respectful. And I see that leaving as, as the urbanization effect. We get busy. We get crowded. We get uh, distracted. And, and the, the, the almighty career took mm-hmm. over. And so I miss that part of of uh, when I'm away. You know, I tell people I don't nothing against people in austin but i sure like bid home and sure. <laughs> i don't stay here more than i have to just because you, you just kind of yearn for that uh, community and that that, that culture of, of west texas but we we're out there on an island uh you know lubbock is a hub for a large population base in that region mm-hmm. new mexico included and is that where it gets the hub city it's the from? hub city it, it's it's the, it's truly a hub in retail health um tech university the education system the uh uh, agrarian, uh, all the services uh, congregate there in the hub area. So and boy, it, it will flood quick. It, it can if flood it rains. quick. Well, we spend a lot of money on stormwater now, so get me started on that. But uh, it does, <laughs> you know. I guess it's because the ground's not ready to accept. A lot of times, it can flood pretty quick. Well, it's been a long. I think it was the '90s last time I was there. But we oh, were in wow. Stubbs seeing a show. We didn't even know it was raining. Yeah. When we came out, we we're like. Look at the streets. Yeah, Stubbs. That's an that was an icon. You know, Lubbock's got a lot of folks coming out of Buddy Holly. A ton of fun there. Yeah, it's good. You wouldn't recognize it now. Really? I came in there in the eighties. There was nothing south of the loop, which for oh, people that don't sure. understand loop, it's just a big road around it. It actually connects. It's not like the Austin loop. It's not like the Austin loop that stops, <laughs> you know, the road in nowhere. We have no loops uh, that connect. So uh, it, it's a real loop, but it, there was nothing south of that uh, other than a famous bar called Coldwater Country that had uh, 10 cent long necks on Wednesday night. Uh, I don't know how <laughs> so I know that. But oh, I the good old days. Well, there's a, you know, there's a witness opportunity there, so <laughs> you, you make sure you meet those when you're in college. So that 
that uh, that was the only thing that existed, and now we're out to. I mean, miles. We're talking into another loop development already. Is that kind of the urbanization you speak? <laughs> is it simply population-driven, or is it technology? Or? Well, a couple of things for Lubbock. It is a lot of the rural communities are moving in for medical. Uh, and farms prices got up because oil and gas development and some other things. So a lot of people are selling farms and moving to the city, and that's part of it. But Lubbock is growing in the way of bringing in actual uh, non-Texans, if you will. There's, there's a lot of development going. Tex reached about 40,000 kids. That seems to be the the uh, you know the metric when you hit that number you just gain activity and economic drive. Wow. Uh, Lubbock just kind of cranks one into two percent every year, just real steady. We got the big five for the economy diversity up there, so we never see these huge swings. It's not like the Odessa Midland area, which my dad lived in Odessa for sixty some odd years, and so I worked in Odessa in the oil field, worked offshore uh, to pay for tech. So gotcha. We've been kind of used to working. Now, you said the big five. What are the big five? Well, you got retail, medical, education, agriculture, and then oil and gas. So we've got a little bit of every bit of that, and so you never really see a big big up or down. Gotcha. And so your wife, Jacqueline, and both of your kids, Jordan and Matthew, went to Texas Tech. I I mean, did they know another school existed? Did you tell them? You know, there was one rule that uh, our money didn't go orange. Uh, That was pretty. That was pretty much the only. And honestly, if they had been able to to do that, that would have been fine. But no University of Texas. uh, What about Maroon? Yeah, you know, it would have been kind of the second. No money goes, but I could have tolerated it because the the Aggies they kind of represent a little bit of the West Texas uh, Mm -hmm. flavor. There's some, you know, the Blue Jacket kids go there and. Uh, those are fine kids. Fine kids. Uh, I'll tell you, they're the leaders of, of, of so many things when right. they mature, and it's uh, they they come out of our area. You know, so, so you might have so, to explain to our audience yeah, the Blue, Blue Jacket kids, the future I mean, farmers guys. That's right. They're right. the FFA kids, and uh, awesome, awesome program. Mm-hmm. I tell everybody, if you get a kid in Harris County in the center of the inner city to take care of a lamb for a year. Mm-hmm. I think you have a whole different outcome in our public school systems in some of these inner cities issues because it's responsibility, it's taking care, it's a, it's life, you know, it's it's getting your hands dirty and right. gritty and dirt. But and the lamb a, is not on the yeah, test. Yeah, and the okay. lamb is not on the <laughs> test. It's not on the <laughs> test. Right. So get that lamb out of here. I just uh, I just think lamb that chops. there's so many positive attributes to being able to work in that area with your with your hands and responsibility and accountability for something that you're, you know, so being of that that uh, that animal is your responsibility. I think it just adds something to it, a very rich uh, aspect. So I wish we could get that, and I know we're trying to get some of that stuff started. So we're bringing a little uh, West Texas flavor into that. Uh, so there's stuff. legislation. You have legislation. Uh, no, that I think that, that over time that our FFA kids have recognized uh-huh. that you know we can we can stay where we're at and only us benefit from it. So there's been a really good initiative by AgriLife Extension and some of these other organizations to promote that program in the inner cities and i'm a huge supporter of that absolutely i mean it does two incredible things one ffa is is a great leadership program uh the the debates that they do with the kids and encouraging them to study issues and learn how to speak about the issues is incredible and then at the same time urban folk whether it be children or or adults need to know where their food comes from right no it perpetuates the message of agriculture that we were losing by the day and we feed more and more people with less and less people and less and less uh, acres under production. And, you know, if you really study it and take a look into it, our farmers, our ag communities, 
do so much. That's <laughs> so much risk. You talk about a faith-based career. You go out there in April, you put a little water on it, and you throw some seed in the den, and you kind of cover it over, and you just pray that it doesn't get held out wind. Sure. Or, I mean, rained out, and then you hope you have rain at yeah. the right time. So. Right. Then you hope the market's available uh, to sell it. And then you hope that, that China doesn't dump yeah. much stuff on the market. So right. uh, you talk about a, an industry of faith. They're good, hard work. And that's the people that I, that I represent. I'm privileged to do it through 51 counties. And so let's, let's educate our audience. We've got listeners all over the state and the country. And so let's educate them a little bit on Texas agriculture because, well, for that matter, folks in Houston and San Antonio and Dallas probably don't realize this either. But Texas leads the nation in cattle, <laughs> cotton, hay, sheep, goat, and mohair production. Uh, Texas leads the nation in number of farms and ranches with 200 and about 250,000 farms and ranches covering over 130 million acres. Uh, that's, that's, those are pretty impressive numbers. Uh, the economic impact of the food and fiber sector totals more than $100 billion annually. Right. It's huge. Yeah, when I had the debate on the floor, and I had one last week, in fact, uh, with my urban colleagues, I said, you know, you can choose to support us out there on some level, or you can choose not to. But when you back up and take a deep breath, you're going to lose your ag, which is probably your largest export. You're going to lose your oil and gas because most of the oil and gas is still Permian basis centric. And all the things that we learn about oil and gas come from that area, and all the benefits of having the research and stuff comes out of that area. But you take oil and gas and ag out of the picture, which is my area, 15% of the population base west of I-35, most of them out there in Midland, Odessa, Amarillo, Lubbock area, uh, and then down to El Paso. That whole corridor over there is producing your energy. Those are the things that drive the state budget. Well, uh, then is, is that kind of the explanation how you managed to be the first freshman senator to also chair a committee in a long time? The, people the people always ask. Power? Uh, you know, I'll give Lieutenant Governor uh, accolades and, 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 and when they're due for sure, and he earned them on that one. He had he had a freshman senator from 51 counties with 37 of them having less than 10,000 people where water is the number one thing for there. It should be the number one thing for the state. It's right. not the priority that should be, and I, I continue to throw that message out. It's not a cliche. It's not because I'm chairman of water, but we are not preparing well for our water needs 50 years out. The good thing is we have those water needs met if we would just prioritize them. But that said, so Patrick, one, understood the, the, the uh, angst about a freshman senator coming in after you had such a, a successful predecessor in mm -hmm. Bob Duncan and the water he used to carry, no pun intended. So he looked at that and he said, you know what, I've been out there, and to his credit, I think he's been to Lubbock, gosh, he's been to Lubbock two or three times a year. He loves the area, he loves the people. But he put, he put me in there. Uh, yeah, you're talking about Pike Fest, RKAs. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, so anyway, they put me in that position, I think, one, to send a strong message that uh, – that he's serious about rural Texas. He's serious about water. He's serious about ag issues. So I think it was a logical and good pick. You know, obviously I was the beneficiary of it. It was a, a, a big leap of faith and trust, I think, on his part to say, here's one of the substantive committees. You're a freshman. Go for it. Right. <laughs> uh, but I think it shows a wisdom. You know, he's not the knower of all knowledge. He's from Harris County. I remember talking to him about water one time. He said, I'm from Harris County. We've got water. So, yeah, you know, sure. he's, he's kind of a foreign concept to him that we would really have that much of an angst about water needs. And so it was good for him to uh, stick me in there, privilege to do it. It's been a fun committee. Uh, I love the people because I get to see the people that, that you know, I hold dear in my district. Sure. They come through that committee all the time. So. Is right. it frustrating, though? Do you find, I mean, uh -huh. I, I would imagine chairing any committee, you, it's never... 
I don't know what you'd expect it to be like, but I, I would imagine it has its fair share of frustrations. Yeah, well. I think, uh, you know, with it comes a responsibility, and I tell them my biggest role is to kill bad bills. Uh, and, 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 and no, no, uh, not lighthearted about it all. Cause a lot of members work really hard on bills, sure. but they're in familiar with the subject matter and they just see water one place and think it should just move over there the other place. And Supreme court's been pretty clear that if you're going to do that kind of stuff, you got to pay for it. And then that becomes a foreign concept. <laughs> so, <laughs> you mean we that. can't just go get that water? So I'm right. like, no, that's not how it works out. So Trey, have you noticed water? I mean, that's, that's a subject that runs pretty common between all of our, our guests that, that um, represent the state of Texas. It I always mean, comes up. It comes up. And what year is it going to be a thing where everyone goes, what? Oh, my God. What, what about all the water? When are, when are regular folks, I mean, even worst case scenario, like 10 years? Sure. 50 uh, years? It, I'll, I'll answer it like a politician. It really depends on where you're sitting. Geography-wise, there's some areas of my district in the state that are truly, truly water deficient, and, and the next drought of record could be the drought that we run out. Now, mm-hmm. to the state, uh, state's defense, or to their credit, the, the 2011 drought that we experienced, which was horrible, I really believe when the data is finally calculated, we will, we will see that become the drought of record, which the last drought of record is in the 50s. Sure. So nobody in, in this state at a municipal level, went without water during the drought. Now, there were some cities that were on the 90-day list, meaning within 90 days, the taps don't work. Right. And so to say that we don't really have our act together on planning is pretty short-sighted. We plan pretty well to know that when these days come that we can be prepared, but we were within 90 days on some cities. Mm-hmm. So wow. we are truly, depending on what area of the state you're in and where you're setting, uh, whether groundwater is available, surface water is available, reservoirs are available those kind of initiatives uh, depending on where you're at you could see a problem well you know the state in from my perspective has done a great job over the last 20 years of planning i mean we've had the state water plan that gets continually revised for the past 20 years and uh, it's a good plan but we've historically done a poor job of funding funding and implementing Correct. I, th- I think the implementation aspects where I've focused on, and I'll give you an example, there's 20 reservoirs in that state plan to be developed or done. Well, if you paid any attention to regulations, be it federal or state, the idea that we can develop 20 reservoirs in this state in my lifetime is just a misnomer because mm. the bottom line is it takes anywhere from 30 to 50 years of planning uh, right-of-way access, uh, EPA, lizard protection provisions. Sure. All the things that we hold dear dear to our heart, but those reservoirs are not reality. So what I have implemented with some legislation is you look at that plan, and if it's economically or regulatory unfeasible to do that reservoir, then right. you pull it out of the plan. Makes sense. Because we need to be operating with facts and not hypotheticals that may never come to fruition, or we're going to be really disappointed now. I said it a while ago, we have the natural resources available to meet our water needs going forward. Uh, there are definite challenges, but it will take money and prioritization. And the question is, is that state money or is that local money? Is it a partner with private sector or is it not? So because, you know, we pride ourselves on private property rights. Sure. And it's been held very clearly that groundwater is a private property right issue. And our surface waters is controlled by the states and the appropriation of those waters are the state control. So we've got a Jekyll and Hyde system when it comes to our water sources, but We've got a gulf to the south, and we've got contiguous states that flood fairly regularly. So we've got mm-hmm. access to all kinds right. of different water sources. We just need to make it a priority to go after it. Did 2011 not light the correct fire? 
that it should have. The worst I mean, thing we can have in the state for uh, water is rain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> On a day when a bill's being debated to the, fund water, right? You're exactly right. The sense of urgency uh, goes away once the, the troughs are filled again. But there'll be a day when that drought comes back and we'll have more people. You know, we'll just keep adding people. And it may be a 20-year drought, 10-year drought, 15-year drought. The last one was basically around three to five in the 50s. I think it went almost eight to ten type deal. So wow. if we had had a drought of record of the 50s hit us with the 11 that we were in, that next two years is when the ugly was going to happen. Sure. We were really on the verge of having pretty nasty stuff. So. Yeah. Well, Education would be tough. I mean, it yeah. falls from the sky. How do you convince people that— we're, there, there's not going to be enough. I mean, ninety-seven percent, ninety-five percent estimate here dependent on rainfall still. Mm-hmm. And, and you said a second ago we keep adding people, and that that's something that concerns me when we talk about water, when we talk about agriculture, when we talk about farms and ranches. Is we keep adding people. We currently have twenty-eight million or so people in Texas. That has doubled since nineteen sixty. It's growing exponentially. I think that's supposed to double again in 20, 25 years. Mm-hmm. And at some point, um, I feel as if we've placed such strains on our natural resources, on our water, on our land from the standpoint of growing crops, uh, from the reduction arable land across the state to grow crops. Uh, immigration is something that comes up a lot on this show, and I kind of wonder at what point do we have enough people. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it's a question of having the right people. And what I mean by that, we've got jobs. We've got opportunities today that people choose not to participate in because truthfully, and I mean this nonpartisan as it can be, we've got a government that fulfills needs that used to be, uh, you know, uh, you go out and you have some self-esteem and some self-worth and some pride and go to work. And so uh, our migrant, uh, especially in the agrarian industry, building trades industry, but in the, in the agrarian side out where I live, there's literally families that move up from the south during ginning season, have had it for 20 years. Granddad did it. Dad's doing it. Son's doing it. It's a legacy. And they can almost set their clockwork by when Joe's going to show up. Sure. And they show up, and they work the ginning season, and they go back, and they're on a permit system. So, you know, what frustrates me about the immigration debate is we have the laws. We arguably could probably expand the quotas because they haven't kept up with population demands and things to meet some of the needs that are now existing that didn't exist 30 years ago when those quotas were put in. But we could, if we just enforce our system and make it effective and efficient, we wouldn't be having a lot of the debates. It's frustrating. Uh, and those people are great people. Uh, but I will tell you, gener- generationally, um, some of my employer groups that do that, seasonal agriculture, mm-hmm. and rely on those, they're beginning— I, I'll give you a good example. One of my vegetable growers literally has his vegetable fields turned under with fruit on the vine because he can't find pickers to come up anymore. Is that right? Uh, so that's kind of the our, our Western culture, if you will, has kind of filtered into some of the immigrant community, and we literally don't have workforce. But it's not because we don't have the work. <laughs> yeah, it's because well, we have people that are choosing not to work in those fields anymore. That's a common problem. I mean, there's high-tech sectors where we, we don't have the workers, yet we have all these unemployed people. And it seems like they're trying to apply a black-and-white solution to a problem that has as many colors as, as sure. nature can provide. I mean, because an immigrant is not an immigrant is not an immigrant. I mean, if there are certain uh, people that would fill a need, but you can't separate them. That would be called, um, uh, what do you call it? Um, 
profiling or something like there's always <laughs> an ugly word yeah. that gets thrown at something when you're trying to be practical yeah and practicality can often be twisted into pretty you know hateful terms sure and and, and that's sad that we're here because the losers in that are one the, the employer obviously but the immigrant community that was seeking good work so uh we'll we'll get through that um i think that we're on the right track now i think we have a president that understands security aspect of what we're talking about but also understands the practicality of workforce development and we'll uh, start going down that road and see where it goes but uh, we are dependent on that labor uh, it works well in my area with folks that uh, have done it for years and understand the system and the process and there's an expectation on the other side the immigrant workers sure. have come there to work and then go home they That's don't right. want to be, hang out in lubbock texas not that they're against lubbock texas but they've got other culture or their home right. waiting on that they go back for so it can work it can work well it just takes people willing to go through the process to do it correctly so well and you know it w- in this country we've been talking about comprehensive immigration reform mm-hmm. for 25 years and we've never seen it but uh, and we've continually talked about securing the borders and having a good work visa program where folks can immigrants can come over to work the seasons and then go back home to mexico and nicaragua where, wherever they're from and, and and seal up the border so the folks that we want coming over here to work can come work and go back and forth safely. Right. And that way we know if somebody's crossing uh, the border in some place where you really shouldn't be crossing, they're up to no good. Right. Right. So do you have any faith in, in our current president that we'll see some comprehensive immigration? I think he reform? will because I think he's one, he's kind of taking the partisanship out of the issue. He hit a nerve with the Republican primary voters. It's not nothing. To, you know, I look at this race he ran and I, I compare it to the 2010 race that I came in in Texas on. It's almost identical verbatim issues jurisdictionally we probably didn't have it right that's a federal issue but you know all the republican primary voters were hungry for that message and the message hasn't unfortunately gotten any better for the eight years but i see a president that literally has taken the partisanship out of the equation and that he doesn't really care he's just seeking where can we go to get this thing fixed and i think you have a the gang of eight that was chastised so hard and i understand the the nuances being on the political side of it, how you messaging and wording and all of that that goes into it. But I think they're going to, I think he's one of those guys going to throw it all out the window and say, what do we need and how do we get there and bring some unity to that before he's over. I don't think he gets it done in the next three months. I, I, you know, we didn't get here overnight. That's right. The, the lack of uh, initiative or the lack of uh, people wanting to work, even though there's jobs available, we didn't get here overnight. And until the government finds a way to de-incentivize that, and you start pulling back on those programs and making people go back out and earn that self-worth and that self-esteem and all that financial independence and things that I was speaking to about West Texas. Right. You know, we're not looking around for people to come help us. We're we're just trying to do it. We just take, leave us alone. That's what yeah. I tell my colleagues. I say, most of my guys, <laughs> they don't need much, very little support on some level, but just leave them alone. Sure. <laughs> you know. So I think you'll see that by the time this eight years is over, you'll have a conservative and I think a pathway that starts dealing with this immigration stuff. I, th- I think he's committed to it. I think he's seeking it. The thing I appreciate about him, and it's kind of like the Reagan guy, you know, that guy that we hang on to, he recognized <laughs> his Reagan shortcomings. He, he recognized his shortcomings. But he, 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 he said, you know, I don't have all the answers, but I can find smart people to help get me the answers kind sure. of attitude. And I see that in this guy. And you got to have a leader. got to have a visionary. You can agree to disagree with the vision, but... At least you got somebody willing to step out there and break the mold and go back to the drawing board and say, we got to fix this. And that's a real encouragement. That's what I wanted, just someone to break it up and 
I, I just have faith in the American spirit and our ingenuity that no matter what problem, sure. I mean, the pro- it ought to be the, the bigger the problem, the better. Yeah. Break it down as far as you can because it'll just be a, a more shining example of what can be accomplished. It, and we haven't seen that attitude in so long, and it's kind of perpetuated for a couple of generations on so many levels. But, you know, the reward of succeeding hasn't been felt in so long that people don't know why they're moving that way. You know, if the objective is A, and we never go to A anymore to know that when we got there, it's like, wow, we really <laughs> did something big. You right. know, we made a jet airplane or we went to the moon kind of attitude that this is a huge, this is our moon project of this generation. Do we bend this curve or do we truly go to a full force socialist system? And that's kind of at the crossroads. And I, I think the concerning part is, is I don't think the the people moving know where they want to go. <laughs> They don't understand the downside of that. or mm-hmm. So we've lost a little bit of our patriotism. We need that back. We know uh, it's I not agree. a Republican issue. We need that patriot spirit. We need to be united for some purpose, and we are really, really divided. You know, Without I, tragedy, too. It would be nice if we could unite without something awful happening that like, yeah. forces our hand. I mean, so that we can true. do it our own, on our own, just because we have common ground. And, and we need to get back to a unifying theme, and, and we've lost our faith. Uh, unifying theme. We used to be a nation of, of some consistent faith. Sure. You may not, you know, Baptist, Democrat, Republican, all those people were kind of, you know, in the same same group or Presbyterian. They were all, but we have just really split this deal up to where it's going to take a lot of uh, prayer and a lot of energy to put it back together. That's right. You know, I saw an extremely sad uh, and disappointing uh, video clip the other day. A, a student at Berkeley in California walked across the campus carrying an American flag and videotaped it. Somebody videotaped him walking across the campus with an American flag, and he was yelled at, spit at, uh, punched at for carrying an American flag. I mean, what have we come to in this country where that happens on, on well, anywhere in this country, college campus or otherwise? Well, we won't get into too deep of a spiritual discussion but if you really want to back up and take a 10,000 foot view itself you know everybody's all about me and that that happened at the fall <laughs> mm-hmm. when that when the fruit got ate you know everybody's kind of said that point okay it's all about me and not about what he, he needs so so you take that to the next level and that's where we're at today we have a nation of me's instead of a nation of of of, of const- um, con- co- collaboration, you know, for a greater good or a bigger purpose. People have lost the bigger purpose. It's it's, it, it's an inward look instead of an outward look. You know, the guys that marched across in World War One and Two, and and those guys, they were looking at the global purpose, the good. The, the you know, they they took it as a responsibility to help the innocent that couldn't help themselves, kind of deal. We just don't have that anymore, and it's. My my grandparents were that generation. My parents were that generation. My generation's kind of the tail end of it. Mm-hmm. And the next two generations, I think, are going to be the end of some of the very, very things that we hold dear. And when you lose your moral compass and you lose your ability to focus on something that's bigger than yourself for a different purpose than yourself, then we really end up where we're at today. And that's kind of 330 million uh, kings. And that doesn't work out very well. Sure. Be tolerant. Yeah. How do we get our moral compass back? You know, um, it's predicted. This is this is kind of a, uh, if you're if you're a person of scripture, you kind of kind of understand what's unfolded, and you're not shocked by it. You're disappointed and dismayed, mm-hmm. and you're called to fight the fight every day. But for those that don't have that biblical worldview, 
the, they don't understand where they're off. And so that's the challenge. If, if the heart's not ready to receive that and understand that and willing to, to, to acknowledge there is a sovereign, <laughs> sovereign God that you'll answer to kind of attitude, if you never humble yourself to that, then the obedience doesn't come and the repentance doesn't come, and therefore you get this chaos. So I think we're seeing a glimpse of what humanity looks like without a conscience. And well, that's kind of what has been foretold, so to speak. So Sure, and, and the Bible says that there will come a day when what's right becomes wrong and what's wrong becomes right, and we don't know yeah. up from down anymore. Well, I think Timothy, Timothy says it best, Second Timothy it has a verse, and it says something about there'll come a time when they want their ears tickled by what they want to know and that everything else is uh, the, the false teachers, if you will. Right. And I see that through a whole lot of different levels, standing from where I'm looking in and your heart breaks because you know what's ahead and you have to continue to fight and you just, you know i think uh, i think the time's not over god god's still on the throne but uh, we sure are heading in a path that's contrary to at least what i believe personally uh is is going to end in a heartbreak well we are on a path to moral relativism and uh you know it brings me to a question where is the best place to get a chicken fried steak in Lubbock, Texas? You know, in Lubbock, Texas, you're going to laugh because uh, I'd say cast iron griddle. Okay. Uh, man, it's good stuff. It's where Stubbs was. It's the old Stubbs barbecue oh, okay. place. It is. Uh, but I like Fur's chicken fried steak. Because really? they've got these browns with it, the potatoes oh, and the onions right. and all the oh, thing, yeah. all kind of good yeah. grease. Yeah. It's yeah. Per, it's one of the best grease in town. So, furs, uh, you, huh? Yeah, Furs has got a great chicken fry, but uh, Cast Iron Griddle probably has uh, one of the best chicken fries. So let me ask you this. If I walked into Furs and I go to the back of the restaurant and I look at the men's restroom and I look at the women's restroom and I decide I'm going to go in the women's restroom in Lubbock, Texas in the Furs, what's going to happen to me? Well, I can answer it pretty clearly. <laughs> if you're walking in behind my granddaughter, if I had one, or a friend that has a granddaughter, it'll be the last trip to the restroom you need. That's right. That's uh, right. So that we just take care of our stuff out there. We have a little different ethic. Pack uh, that uh, chicken fry to go. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. yeah. No, I think that you'll have uh, bringing you extra pie. So <laughs> it's amazing. Let's well, end on something positive here. Yeah, you have, a, you have a, a, a words of wisdom that, that you reflect upon that, that our listeners might um, find inspiring. Yeah, you know, I I think you asked me to bring something, but I, I, I look at uh, scriptures as an apl- application a lot of times, and it just depends on where I'm at. I'm going to talk to uh, CPS workers here in a few minutes. They need encouragement. So you look through Absolutely. there and you find some encouragement and tell them that what it does matter. So, you know, Deuteronomy 31, God's never going to forsake me. Uh, I think uh, um, the uh, Romans 8, 31, you know, if God's with you, he can be against you. But I think if you have to boil it down for, for my Bible believing, I love the clarity. He's really clear on what he expects. And he's really clear on the pathway to get to where you want to be, and that's an eternal, an eternity without pain, without suffering, without, uh, without consequence, without physical constraints, and see your loved ones that's gone. So, you know, John 3.16, it's pretty unambiguous. <laughs> that's right. So I think I gain from Scripture is I have a God that cares enough to be that clear about where he wants me to be and how to get to where he wants me to stay. And so, just generally speaking, when, when you find yourself kind of in a mix, there's nothing that Genesis to Revelations can't find a solution for you if you're willing to seek it out and pray about it. So, you know, we live in tough times of some level, but gosh, we live in great times too. You know? I agree. 
Gosh, Friday, do you want to be doing anything different? I tell people I pinch myself $600 a month, a bag of chips, <laughs> ability to stay away from my family, you know, numerous days out of the year, even outside of session, sure. and leave a business that we're dependent on feeding my family to, to the Lord every day is going to take care of it. That is a faith trip. It's not near as comprehensive as some of these things that we've talked about, ag people, but in my personal life, I've found I have grown through that process. But it is a cool place to be. The out. politics is is tough, you know, but the work is big thinking stuff, and it's a it's a it's a blessing to get to do it. I I, I love what I do. Uh, I don't know what that says about me, <laughs> but, <laughs> but it's fun being down here, and it's fun being with great people like yourself that sure. uh, fight to fight too with us. I appreciate your support over the years. So. Absolutely, well, thanks for doing this, Senator Perry. We appreciate you being here. We appreciate you doing the Lord's work over at the legislature, yeah. and we hope you'll come back on the Trey Block anytime, show again. man. All you right. guys have a good day. Thank you, sir. This has been the Trey Blocker Show. Find more episodes at treyblocker.com or at your favorite podcast downloading app. Thank you to today's guest, Texas State Senator Charles Perry. 